more or less under authority, so let me walk by the instruction that is given to me. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, the first assignment I'm giving is to define what God's kingdom is all about. Let's just pray. Father God, we just want to thank you. We want to give you all the praise. We give you glory. Here we come before you, Lord Jesus, to learn of thee, to partake of the grace and the spirit, so that Jesus Christ, we can function accurately in that Jesus which you have ordained for us, even as you've called us to yourself, that we will walk with you even in perfection. We are demanding God for understanding, wisdom, revelation, knowledge, that bring transformation and renewing of our thoughts and appreciation of what you've done and we continue to do for us in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, precious Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, so the first thing is what is the kingdom of God? That's the first assignment I'm giving. I'm just going to be looking at that this evening and then tomorrow we continue with maybe. Where is the kingdom? That the third day we're going to look at when is the kingdom of God supposed to be. The issue is this. We need to be abreast of the fact of what Jesus was concerned about. Instead maybe of doing our own businesses. Um, let me just take this scripture as an opening scripture. First John chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 3. First John 2 verse 3. The Bible says, And here we, hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandment, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his words, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. First John 2 verse 3 down to four and five. Amen. Now the Lord is telling us here from the word that the proof of our love for Jesus now I'm not condemning what I'm about to say but it's not the offerings you give. It's not how many times you go to church. It's not even the church you belong to. Listen. Even if you choose to stay in the temple to fast all the days of your life, it's not a proof of your love for God. Jesus is saying, the evidence or the evidence he wants from you that you love him is to keep his commandment. He's more concerned about your obedience than activities. Because it was not lack of activities that make Adam to fall. What made him to fall was like what? Obedience. Is that okay? Now, if you say you love God, then keep and do what he did. Okay. Now, look at, look at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 3. You're going to be a little bit far because we have a lot of scriptures to go through. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 9. The Bible says, for we are laborers together with God. I just want you to stop there. First Corinthians 3, 9. We are laborers together with God. And, and if you're a minister here, it's important you understand this. If we are laboring together with God, then we should know what field or what, 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 what assignment he is involved in. Because the laboring is not your own. 
we are laboring together with him, that means we should be concerned with what he is concerned about. Is that alright? He said, we are co-laborers together with him. That means we do not have our own projects. His project is our project. His assignment is our assignment. His occupation is our occupation. Are you getting this? Because we are co-laborers together with him. We do not have a private business. So when we find what his business is, then we should be concerned with what? His business. Are you there with me? Okay. Now, Second Corinthians 6, verse number 1, we tell you the same thing. We then, as workers together with him, I want you to know that, workers together with him, workers together, co-laborers, workers together. If, if, if your father or anybody you're working with is a farmer, then of course, you should be occupied with farming. If it's a fisherman, then you should be occupied with fishing. If it's a goldsmith or whatever, you should be occupied with that. It's only then are we workers together. Hallelujah. Okay. Now turn to John 6. Verse number 28. John 6, 28 and 29. The word says, Then said they unto him, to Jesus, What shall we do? That we might walk the works of God. What shall we do that we might walk the works of God? The word works there, egon, in the Greek means to walk, to toil, as an effort, occupation, by implication, act, deed, doing, labor. What shall we do that we might walk the works of God? What should be our pursuit to be able to do what God needs to be done. Is that alright? It's also a very good question because you, you can't be walking without knowing the kind of job you're doing. If God is occupied in something, that is what you should be occupied in. So, the Pharisees, they tell us, what shall we do to walk the works of God? Now, in answer, Jesus said, verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God. Now, if you notice that, you're going to see something. Verse 28, he said, what shall we do to work the works of God? There are many. But verse 29, Jesus said, this is the work, singular, of God. That you believe on him whom he has sent. So simple. He didn't give you any assignment. Why is it so? If you believe in him, he will direct you to do his will. For he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Are you getting this? You will be able to do what is pleasing unto him. If you believe in him. And the word belief, pistoi in the Greek means to entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ. Absolute faith. I'm not talking of faith to grab. I'm not talking of faith to collect anything. But the faith that says, I know Christ can take care of me if I believe in him. Now, on that ground, it begins to direct you to do what you are supposed to do. And understand that will begin to come to you. To, I mean. To, for you to do things that will be pleasing to him. If I were pleasing unto him. I'm trying to make us understand that we don't have any private business. 
as far as the gospel of Christ is concerned. God's job is absolute. And the only way you can come to know what he wants is to believe in Christ. That is the work of God. When you believe, understanding will begin to come. Revelation will begin to come because he becomes the master that sends you to do the work that you are supposed to be doing. Am I talking to someone here? Hallelujah. Okay now, turn to the book of Luke chapter 4. We got to see what was his occupation. What was his occupation? What was so paramount to him? What was so strong in his heart? His intention, his desires, his trust. What was it? Luke chapter 4. I'm reading from verse 43. 42 then 43. Are we all there? And when it was day, it was in a particular city or village as the case may be. He departed and went to a desert place, open country. Desert doesn't mean in the bush. Went to an open country. And the people sought him and came unto him and said, Stay him, that he should not depart from them. In other words, they wanted him to stay in that place continuously. They wanted him back. Hallelujah. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore I am sent. Hallelujah. Now I want to read this from the message translation. He left the Nazareth for an open country, but the crowds went looking, and when they found him, clung to him, so he couldn't go on. He told them, don't you realize that there are yet other villages where I have to teach the message of God's kingdom? That this is the way God sent me to do. That's what I'm interested in. Don't you know I have to go to other villages to preach the message of the kingdom? This is the work that God sent me to do. Now, if that is the work God sent him to do, what other work do you think God sent us to do? Are you there? That is why it is not about works. It is about work. God sent him to do one work. Preach the message of the kingdom. To everyone. And if we are co-laborers, that automatically becomes our occupation. Am I making sense? If we love him, then we are going to do what he did. The messenger do not have any other message to deliver other than the one given to him by the one that sent him. Because the word sent is the word apostolos. Which means the one that is sent with the message. From where you have the word apostle. Are you there with me? He said, I must go to other villages also to preach the message of the kingdom. For that is the work which the Father has sent me to do. He has one work to do. And that's to proclaim what? The message of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you think you want to preach. You want to preach deliverance, you want to preach prosperity, you want to preach faith, you want to preach healing, fine. But the truth is there is one message. There are no two messages. Every other thing you seem to be clinging on to is a shrine in this one message called the message of the kingdom. Jesus didn't preach three messages, he preached one message. Any other thing is another gospel. 
And Paul said after the Galatian church, he said, if anybody comes to you with another message, which is not the gospel, then it's another gospel. There is one gospel, and that's the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this question. What will it benefit you if you labor so much in what you think it has to do with ministry and the Lord doesn't seem to have an approval for what you are doing because you are doing your own thing and not what himself is concerned about. What benefit do you have in that? Hallelujah. Are you there? Hallelujah. Okay, so let's just move on very quickly. You know, if you check the book of Acts chapter 1 verse number 1, the Bible says, The former treatise of I made of Theophilus of the things that Jesus began both to do and teach. Understand that. The thing Jesus began both to do and teach. He did some things. He taught some things. Now we can't go beyond the things he taught. We can't go beyond the things he did. He went about doing good. And then the things he taught. What were the things? The things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse number 3. You find it there. It is better you find a mind and a heart of the one you are working with. So that you can truly become a co-laborer. I'm not interested in anything other than what he is interested in. Because I know the reward is not about what I did. It's about my obedience to what he wants me to do. Do you understand this? God is not going to reward you because even if you like win the whole world. And if he didn't send you to win the whole world. And you won the whole world. It amounts to nothing before him. Look at what he said in the book of Matthew. He said, go away from me, ye workers of iniquity. And he says, about we did signs and wonders, we did miracles. He said, yes, you, are, you did it without law. The word iniquity is anomia in the Greek, which means lawlessness. In other words, you can operate ministry, and God didn't send you to operate the ministry you are operating. You are operating under lawlessness. You have no reward. Hallelujah. We must come back again. Go back to the book and read the book and find out his passion was nothing but the kingdom of God. Even Philip went to Samaria. It was God's kingdom. Remember that? Because some person will tell you I'm an evangelist. I'm an evangelist. I don't have time for any other thing. John 3.16. I'm an evangelist. Philip didn't preach John 3.16. He was an evangelist. When he went to Samaria, he preached the message of the kingdom. The Bible tells me there was someone the sorcerer in that city when they begin to hear exactly what Philip was saying, if Philip didn't go there to condemn what the sorcerer was doing. He didn't go there. Why do we condemn people who we think they are doing something wrong or something like that? It's simply because we do not have what it takes to preach the message of the kingdom. Philip went to Samaria, preached the message of the kingdom. Now people turned from Simon the sorcerer and they came to Philip. Are you still there? Why? Because God backed up what Philip was doing. And that's why the people have to come seeking for Philip. The Bible never told me Philip was doing signs and wonders, but people came to him. Come on, think about that. Hallelujah. Okay. So here we go. Jesus is doing one thing, and we should be occupied with what Jesus did. Only then can we prove that we love him. Because like we read before, 1 John 2, it tells us that if you say you love him, keep his commandment. Remember that? And in Matthew 24 verse 14, he told the apostles, this message of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations for a witness, then the end shall come. You go and preach it. 
Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 9, the 70s, he sent them out, preach the message of the kingdom. There is no other message. People, that God has sent us to preach. It doesn't matter how prosperous we think we are making it. There is one message, and that is the message of the kingdom. And in this meeting, in this conference, we are going to be able to exploit deeply what the kingdom is, when is the kingdom, where shall the kingdom come, as the case may be. We are going to exploit the scriptures to find out this, and then our heart shall be at rest. Knowing that we are in God's will, and nothing can shake our foundation. Can somebody help me say amen to that? Hallelujah. Now get now to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at 14 to 15. Mark chapter 1. Hallelujah. Now the scriptures say, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He began his ministry with the gospel of the kingdom. Hello. He began his ministry with the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And saying the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent here and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. He told them what to believe. What gospel did he say they should believe? The gospel of the kingdom. Hallelujah. The time is fulfilled. What does that mean? If you say the scriptures, you find that right from the Old Testament, there were the prophecies about the fulfillment of God's kingdom or the coming of a Messianic kingdom. And there was the expectation of that. And even that which Daniel spoke about, Daniel chapter 4. Right? How that a kingdom shall be given to the saints of the Most High. All of that put together. Jesus came and said, the time is fulfilled. You know the word? I am the one fulfilling those scriptures. The time of those prophetic words is fulfilled. Once it is fulfilled, it is fulfilled. Hallelujah. Remember what he said in Luke chapter 4? When he opened the book, he read to them, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember that? And he said, today of this scripture be word fulfilled. So you must understand that the prophetic word had a fulfillment in Christ. And so if there were expectation of God's kingdom, Jesus came and said, the time is fulfilled. Now is what the kingdom believe the gospel of the kingdom. Repent. When he say repent, what does that mean? Change your mind. Do you understand this? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Change your mind. Have a new orientation. Have a new mindset about what you should believe. If I may go a little bit further. Don't postpone the kingdom anymore. That's what was trying to tell them. Because there is power in the kingdom. To transform you. Are you getting this? Do not just hope for it. Believe it now. And then receive the transformation. And the only way you can come into that is by the renewing of your mind. Knowing that this thing is real. It's not a tomorrow's affair. Somebody says, is it coming? Yes, because God is yesterday, today, and forever. So the kingdom is yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Okay. Now, Luke chapter 11. 
Tell you I'm going to be running through scriptures so that you can get some full assurance of what I'm saying here. Luke 11, verse number 1 to 2. Remember this. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he sees one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. And I like this. So many of us do things without finding out exactly how it should be done. These disciples, don't, don't forget this. The very crop of the first people that Jesus started ministering with were the disciples of John. They knew how John used to pray. Now they look at Jesus, they find out his prayer pattern is different from that of John. You see, there was something John was asking for. And there is something Jesus is asking for. Based on the commission. That is why our prayer lives are never the same. Are you see that? Teach us to pray even as John taught his disciples. Now that is something you need to understand. That if you are a follower of any man, you should understand his mind. In other words, the apostles or the disciples of John understood who John was. And so they could be his disciples. Now that we want to follow you, may we understand your mind. So that we can pray according to your mind. Is anybody following this? So, you see, it's not just all manner of prayers. It's not all those kind of harvest that praying. The prayer should be tailored towards the mind of the Father in bringing, in fact, we should use prayer to, to bring to pass God's thought and intent and purposes. Can you see how Daniel prayed? Daniel said, well, you said we're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Now the time has come. It's now 70 years. Forgive us our sin. Let us get out of Babylon. Daniel prayed the mind of God. Are you still there? So teach us to pray. Let us know how to pray. In other words, they don't know how to pray. And I'm not first know how to pray. We think we know how to pray. But humility will make us understand we don't truly really know how to pray. That's why the Bible says sometimes we groan, not knowing, except the Spirit interceding for us because we don't know what we ought to pray for. And that's a good place to be, that you just get open to the Father to instruct you on the way to approach Him and the things to approach Him for. Are you there? Now look at the next verse, the reply of Jesus. The ones who know His mind, they know what He should be praying for. And He said unto them, when you pray, say, <laughs> Our Father which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it's done where? In heaven. Or that will be done as in heaven, so in earth. According to the book of Luke there. Did you get this? So, they say, teach us to pray. So, when you pray, say this. And for those of you who are familiar with our teachings here, this is not a problem for you. But let me just say it for the sake of those who may be hearing for the first time. This prayer, first of all, opened with one particular thing, and that is killing the disciples to God's mind in relation to what he came to do. When he said, our father, what does that mean? He's trying to say, my father is your father. From today, because you are following me, and I've only been saying this, 
And I pray that the church world will hear this loudly. God is a universal God. But God is not a father to everybody. God is a father to the believers. But he's a God universally. Are you following this? So when he said pray our father. What Jesus simply said we are joint heirs. If I have right to him you also have right to him. Are you following me? You can talk to him directly. That is what he's trying to say. Why? He understood this position that a time comes when we step aside so that the communication between you and your father, no man stands between both of you. Jesus doesn't want to grab that position forever. So even when he said to people how to pray, he told them explicitly, I'm going to step aside. You have a direct relationship to your father who is God. How many Christians truly believe and know that God is your father? How many truly know that you can talk to the father directly? And that God can respond to you because you are his son. How many of you know that? Hallelujah. And so he said, pray. Our father which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. The emphasis again is kingdom. I must go to other cities to do what? To preach the message of the kingdom. And he said, teach us to pray. He brought in again what? The kingdom. This is a passion of Jesus. This is something that occupied him. Even when he flogged the people in the temple, it was all for the sake of the kingdom. Hallelujah. I would like to read something. That will be done in heaven, I mean on earth is done in heaven. What does it mean to us? That kingdom come, that will. The kingdom is connected to God's will. Is that okay? Now, Jeremiah 27, verse number 5. Look at this. Jeremiah 27, verse number 5. He said, I have made the earth the man of the beast. Now, upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I have given it unto whom he seemed meet unto me. What does that mean? I made the earth, I made everything. Remember, there was this time he spoke to Babylon, I mean to, 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 to Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, in the book of Jeremiah 25, he personally spoke to the children of Israel, and he made them to understand that he has given even themselves to Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar should be their master, and that whoever refuses, he, God himself, is going to deal with that individual. Remember that? Now he said, I've given the dominion of the earth to whomsoever deems fit. In other words, God can choose any man to be a ruler at any point in time. Why? The earth belongs to him. Now the intention is this. Anybody he gives power to, he intends to use that power to bring down God's rule upon the earth. If you read this story of Nebuchadnezzar precisely, I'm going to see something. When Daniel interpreted a dream, he said, For thou is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Can you remember that? Now, when you read Matthew 6, from verse number 10, about the lost prayer, that is his way, the same way it ended. For thou is what? The kingdom, the power, and the glory. Whoever, I have mentioned that, I think in my book I mentioned it, Whoever, when you say Lord of Lord, Lord of Lord is not necessarily 
a title of Jesus alone. Even Nebuchadnezzar was called Lord of Lord. Why? Whoever is in charge that God empowers for time to have dominion on the earth is a Lord of Lord. In other words, you are the Lord that have power over other lords. By implication, other nations were submitting if a Nebuchadnezzar could deal with them because God was behind him. Did you understand what I'm saying here? So he said, the and the power, whatever, the great power with which he established yet, he can give it to whoever he wins. Now, the next thing he says, Psalm 115, can we look at that again? Psalm 115, verse 15. He said, you are blessed of the Lord, quit me heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the lost. But the earth has he given to who? The children of men. Or the sons of men. In other words, the rulership of the earth, he has completely authorized, released unto the sons of men. And I've told us here sometime, it may shock you to understand that God will not want to do anything in creation without first consulting man. And why is this so? Because he has delegated man to have dominion over the earth. Are you there with me? A typical example is when he wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He has to go to Abraham. You know the Bible calls Abraham a prophet of God. What does that mean? Abraham wasn't seeing vision for people. But he knew the will of God. Are you still there? A prophet of a man... It's a man that understands the mind and the intent of the one he's speaking on his behalf. And that's why Abraham was a prophet of God. But I never saw Abraham standing anywhere and seeing vision for people. So you have to understand the clear definition of prophet. Are you see that? So here the Bible says he has given the air to the sons of men. You know what? Part time he can raise an individual to have authority over creation. And that is exactly what he did with Adam. To have dominion. Is that alright? Are you there? Hallelujah. So let's move on. Back now to Matthew chapter 6. About this prayer thing. And so here he says. Thy kingdom come. Verse 10. Matthew 6. Thy kingdom come that will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now. If you take a critical analysis of this sentence, something is going to come up in your mind. Something will pop up. What is it going to be? It simply shows something is wrong with the earth. Do you understand this? Remember, he said he has given the earth to the sons of men. Now he is praying and he says, Thy will be done on earth. It means men are unable to manage the earth. So when the kingdom of God, which is his will, is being done, then there's going to be appropriate management and dressing, if you will, of the garden. Because when God created man and put him in the garden, he said he should dress the garden. Dressing the garden means expressing God's will to the rest of the creatures. Because he has given the earth to the sons of men. And so when he said, Thy kingdom come that will be done on earth. 
it shows men are unable to manage yet. Now he is looking for the people who can truly manage yet with God's will. Not man's will, not man's intent, not man's intentions, but God's mind. Are you still there? Hallelujah. That will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. In other words, there could be peace. Let me use what there is peace, there is joy, there is all of those things in heaven, but you don't find all of that in earth. So when he said, Can I find a man that can pull those things down here? So that just as it is up there, it can be expressed down here. Are you there with me? You know what he's saying? Adam failed to do this. But God is seeking for the people who can do it. What Adam could not do, I bet you we are going to be able to do. Because we are connected to the last Adam. And the last Adam, ultimate goal, vision, will, is to ensure that God's will be done where? On the earth. The word will is very crucial. I think I'm going to interpret that, but let's just go. I want to begin to break these words a little bit down. Things like kingdom, things like whatever. Okay, let's look at the word kingdom. The word kingdom actually from the Greek word basilei, it actually speaks of royalty, a realm, a kingdom, or a reign. There's a few things I give to you. Properly, a royalty, a realm, literally or figuratively, kingdom, or a reign. Now, this simply means kingdom actually means kingship or a royal rule. Hallelujah. It means kingship or a royal rule. Now, you know, all the royal people or princes are the people that rules in the affairs of men, even in the natural. So we often have the kings for the particular lineage. Is that okay? Now what the Bible says you are a royal priesthood, this is what he's talking about. In other words, God is raising a priesthood that has to do with authority and power that will rule on behalf of God. Exactly the way Adam was. Let me say this and I'll get cross. You didn't lost heaven. You lost dominion. Come on, help me say I'm into that. You didn't lost heaven. Did you lost heaven? No. You lost dominion. What God wants to replace is dominion. You don't have to get what you never lost. Are you there with me? I know that will sound very far off. <laughs> but if you be the truth, what can we do about it? Because you never lost heaven. You were not cast out of heaven. In fact, the child told us there's a creature that was cast out of heaven. Remember that? But you were not cast out of heaven. You were driven out of a garden. Mm, come on. Am I correct, someone? And so when you were driven out, you lost dominion. Now what you should be looking for is your dominion. Because if you get back your dominion, all that you lost will be restored. Are you still there? Kingdom involves kingship, a royal rule, like I said. 
involved in this term the sovereign authority of a ruler, the activity of ruling, and the realm of rule, including his benefits. See, the word kingdom, let me take it a little bit, maybe you need to write them. It involves these terms, the sovereign authority of a ruler. So when you say God's kingdom, we are talking about the sovereign rulership or authority of who? Of God. It, it means the activity of ruling. Kingdom means certain things are going on. Because they have to be laws. They have to be people to obey these laws. They have to be enforcement of these laws, if you will. Are you there? Hallelujah. You speak of the realm of rule, which includes its benefit. The realm of rule. Okay. So, thus, the kingdom of God is a dynamic sphere of God's operation in relation to humanity. God's kingdom is not static. It's dynamic. Because it's an activity that is going on in the realm of creation as perpetrated, if I may use the word, by God himself through the Holy Spirit. Are you there? And the benefit has to do with if you be part of the kingdom, then there are things you benefit from being part of the kingdom. Remember Jesus promised the kingdom to a people? Say, inherit here the kingdom of God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There are benefits in the kingdom. Do you understand this? There are benefits in the kingdom. <laughs> so much more. Benefits in the kingdom. We need to understand this. Now, think about it. As we begin to go on, we're going to make some few definitions later. But if the Bible tells us the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's righteousness, it's joy, it's peace in the Holy Spirit. Can you equate peace to wealth? You can be so wealthy, but no peace. And even the amount of money you have can still buy you peace. So you can't talk about the benefit in the kingdom equating with what you call prosperity. Because you don't even need to be a believer to prosper. Hallelujah. We have men today all over the world. Some are worthy. Some will crash. And all manner of things going on. Hallelujah. It's not stable. The peace is not there. Now, we're talking about benefits that are there within as a believer in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So like I said, the kingdom of God is dynamic. It's not static because it has to do with activities of rulership and people operating and functioning and benefiting from the rule of God even in their lives. Hallelujah. Now, I want to make this statement. The Bible is the story of God's kingdom on the earth. From Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's kingdom on the earth. Beginning from Eden. What makes up a kingdom? Four basic things. A king, the subjects, the laws, and the territory. Four basic things makes up a kingdom. Once you say a king, it simply means the person has subjects that he rules over as a king. Then you have a kingdom. 
It's like using the word the king's domain. The territory of a king. Now, there are nowhere, I mean, no place you're going to have a people put together and there are no laws to guide them. You may even refer to those laws as cultures. Are you still there? So, you have the thing that binds the people together and that has to be the laws or the culture of the people. Maybe language, as the case may be. The attitude and the way they conduct themselves. Now you must find the territory where this kingdom functions in. And just like we can say the Benin Kingdom. Or the United Kingdom. And you have the Prince Charles and all of those suffer people which you know. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? So the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about God's kingdom on the face of the earth. The kingdom of God started with creation. The universe is its extension in a physical, visible realms. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God began in creation. I want you to understand that. Then the universe is its extension in a physical visible form. Everything in creation is directly connected to God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Now, there was a disruption somewhere, the Bible tells us. When the Bible says Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, the word foundation is tohu bohu in the Greek. And it means a founding. A founding is like you have a ship in the sea and it grounded on a shallow water. Then you say the sheep has what? Founded. The sheep can't move anymore. So when you say Christ was slain before the foundation, not when the world started, that does not what it means. It means it was slain before corruption came into it. Can I hear any man to that? Because when you read that in English language, you'll be thinking Christ was slain before creation came into being. That's not what it means. Because the word foundation is tohu bohu. It's talking about when creation went into decay. It's like saying when there was an obstruction to the move of God's kingdom in creation, Christ was slain. Before ever the kingdom became static in that sense, because there was a breach by reason of what Adam did. Are you following me? Now before that happened, Christ was slain. That's what he's saying. So what am I trying to say now? God is restoring back his kingdom. That is the ultimate goal. And that is why Jesus said, this is the main thing I am sent to do. It's a restoration of God's kingdom on the face of the earth. Now you can find out if you will, Revelation chapter 11. I'm going to read this for you. Revelation 11. And I'm going to define a few things for you tonight. The difference between God's kingdom and kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Christ, which is a little bit confusing. Sometimes people don't understand these simple terms. They get too confused about it. Now, Revelation 11, verse 15. Are you there? And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever. 
and ever. They walk forever and ever as they live from age to age. Hallelujah. The kingdoms of this world are becoming, in other words, the authority of this world are going to submit to the authority of God. This is actually the restoration process that Jesus came to begin with. Okay. Look at Psalm 22, verse 27 and 28. Then I begin to give you this definition so that you can have some clarity about those stuff. Psalm 22, 22nd, or 22, if you will. Now look at verse 27. All the ends of this world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. Can I hear an amen to that? All the ends of the world. Are you there with me in that passage? Psalm 22, 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. I like this. Remember what? Remember where we are falling from. Remember where we came from. Remember that of the truth we ought to be in Eden. Paradise on earth. All the ends of the world shall remember. You know what? There is no activity of man today that can make him feel satisfied that he has arrived. There is something still in man saying, we know where we came from. Am I talking to someone here tonight? We know where we came from. All of this put together, no matter the level of civilization, the spirit of man is saying, no, this is not the beginning, neither the end. There is somewhere we came from. The Bible says, all the end of the world shall remember and do what? And turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Now look at verse 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's and is a governor among the nations. He is the ruler. And that's why the scripture says the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Because a time comes when we truly go to remember. And we say, no, we have to go back to the Father. We are not satisfied with the life we're living now. We are not satisfied with what seems to be so precious to us because the next moment we'll find that our heart is agitating. There is still a void there. Something is telling us all is not well. And then we turn to the Lord. We'll come to the place of worship. I may be a little bit different, but I believe the scriptures that there is no tongue that will not confess that Jesus is Lord. I don't know when, how, where, but I know all tongues. Did the Bible say so? And all kneels must bow. What does that mean? They are going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of our creation. All kneels. No matter the strongest man. I don't care how terrible that man would be. It is not even my preaching that we do it. But I know all tongues and all kneels is going to bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Hear the word here. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto thee. And all the kingdoms of the nation shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's and is the governor among the nations. You can call it Russia. You can call it just Cuba. You can just name it. Any socialist organization. Anywhere, name it. Even the Arab world. The kingdom is still the Lord's and is still the governor among the nations. Hallelujah. 
See, the other day I was discussing with my brother, Osas, and we're looking at this critical issue. He found that one of the nations in Africa that was so tough and terrible that could not be colonized was Ethiopia. And that nation is mentioned in the Bible. Even the eunuch that went to the feast came from Ethiopia. Ethiopia was so tough and strong that it could not be colonized in Africa. I believe it because they have the link with the Bible. But you see, when men forsake their roots, then the the, the wild beast hallelujah am I talking here that wild beast will invade because it became a place of desolation now today there is a terrible famine in our country instead of a watered garden it's now a famine land why because they forsook their roots even the Jamaicans believe that they came from Ethiopia that's why they so respected hey Selesi that is late now if I they call him the lion of the tribe of Judah, till tomorrow they still worship him. Because they believe that that is their root. To them they were from Ethiopia. They turned away Jewish people. They so believe. Read the Bible. All the blacks, most of the blacks you find in the Bible, they seem to have coming from Ethiopia. But where are they today? But the time comes when all men shall remember and turn to the Lord. So one day, I believe, someone is going to stand up in that nation and say it. No, this is not our beginning. We must bring God back again into this country. And then the famine shall cease. Are you getting this? Even so with you. If you forsake the kingdom, if you forsake the authority of the king in the kingdom, the only option left is a desolation. That's why you find in Matthew 24. Spoken by Daniel. Hallelujah. Are you getting this? It's important you know this. Now, let me quickly make a little bit of clarity of these things for you to understand tonight. Because sometimes people have asked me this question, Pastor Dave, you talk so much about the kingdom. What's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? As if there are two things. There are not two things. I want to explain those things to you tonight. Is that okay? Now, the word kingdom, like I said before, speaks of sovereignty. It denotes sovereignty which requires the actual presence of a king or a sovereign ruler. And this is very important you understand that you can't talk about a kingdom without a king. And it would be foolhardy for every one of us as believers or Christians to think that the kingdom is not here. Then of course if we say so, we are automatically saying Christ is not the king. The day you deny the kingdom being available, you are automatically saying Christ is not a king. Because you cannot have a king without a kingdom. Neither can you have a kingdom without a king. Are you catching this? Hallelujah. There can be no kingdom without a king. But we know we have a king, do we? Who is it? King Jesus. Now, if Jesus is a king of kings, like we say, it means he has subjects. Who are the subjects? The believers. What is the law? The Bible. What is the territory? The whole world, wherever you find a believer. So don't tell me the kingdom is not here now. Don't tell me Jesus suspended it because the Jews never believe him. 
You don't seem to know the scriptures. You don't even understand prophecies. Jesus told Pilate, say, for this purpose was I born. When he asked him, are you a king then? He said, for this purpose was I born. If Jesus didn't establish a kingdom, then he was a false prophet. But the one I serve established one. And the kingdom is still on today. And it's progressing. And it's making impact. It's moving into territories that men ordinarily could not approach. Let me tell you something. Some of you are so humble today. So much so that where you are now, even Cain or Weapon Kulita have been able to bring you to that level. But the kingdom invaded your life. You know, some of us were drunkards. Now we don't drink anymore. You're looking at me. Am I talking to myself or to you? Hallelujah. <laughs> I like using the word us and we because I'm part of you. I can't do much for you except identify with you. That is the way I preach. I see that with the function of the high priest. You must also identify and have compassion with the weak ones. Daniel prayed and he said, we have sinned. He didn't say my father sinned. He aden- or they, he identified with the sins of the people so that his prayer can ascend and he can be a mediator between them and God. Did you get this? Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said, if we tell you earthly things that you don't understand, he was alone talking. Why did he say we? He understood what he was talking about. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's a language of God to say we. So when I use the word, some of us wear drunkards. You should understand what I mean. It could be you. <laughs> Are you still there? But you see, there's a power that came into our life and that power was broken. That was an invasion of God's kingdom. Hallelujah. So we say that kingdom comes. So like we said, it's a sovereign rule. Now the word actually came from King's domain or dominion. King and dominion. Kingdom. King dominion or king's domain. You can break it into two. King domain. Kingdom. The word dom is from the word domain, which speaks of territory. Is that okay? So, king's domain, kingdom. Very simple. It means there is a king ruling over a territory. Is that okay? Okay, now. Let's look at the word specifically, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, like I said, is the sovereign rule or the sovereignty of God. Which, could, which is moral and universal. Like I said before, it existed from the beginning and we know no end. It is over all and embraces all things in creation. Because God rules over all things. Amen. Paul says something. He said there is no power that be except with that which is given by God. No power that be. That's a very straightforward statement. There is no power that be except that which is given by God. Hallelujah. That's why I say pray for those in power. And he said, I don't want to pray for these people because I know they rig it to election. Sure, they did. Who knows? God allowed it because of you and me. 
So that we can learn some wickedness and see the other side of life, which is good. Until you see a wicked ruler, you will not know a precious one. If Nebuchadnezzar had not dealt to the people, Israel wouldn't have understood who God is. Am I talking to someone? So now, the kingdom of God. I said it's the sovereignty of God, which is more universal. They extend over all and embraces everything. Kingdom of God. Now it is narrowed down to another word. I think only Matthew is this one. The kingdom of heaven. It is the expression of Matthew and Jesus about 32 times in the book of Matthew. But the other gospels like Mark, Luke, John, they use the kingdom of God. So they were not saying different things. Now let me explain something to you. The kingdom of heaven simply means the reign or the activity of heaven in relation to creation. Listen to this. You can have the kingdom of man. They rule from earthly point of view. So when you say the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the rule which is heavenly as opposed to that which is earthly. That's all. Do you understand this? Let me explain how it goes this way. In John 18, remember, I think 32 down, when Jesus was being tried. He said, are you a king then? He said, yes. What this purpose was I born? But you know, say, my kingdom is not of this world. That is not to say my kingdom does not exist in this world. People got that wrong in interpretation. When you say my kingdom is not of this world, it means the principles of my kingdom are not earthly. Or they are not connected to the way men run kingdoms here. My kingdom is heavenly. So when you say the kingdom of heaven, we are talking about a kingdom that is ruled by heavenly principles. Not that kingdom of God today, then kingdom of heaven tomorrow. No. Matthew is only trying to define the sphere of the operation of God's kingdom. So that what it means when you say the kingdom of heaven? It means the kingdom of God have heavenly principles as opposed to the kingdom of men that have earthly principles. Is that alright? Another thing you need to understand when Jesus said that to Pilate is this fact. You know, as at that time, if you go by the book of Daniel, the kingdom of the Roman Empire was the last kingdom in the image of Daniel. Babylon, Medipatia, Greece, Rome. Remember that? Hallelujah. So, now, for every kingdom that ever arose, they must take part of the other kingdom they captured or they conquered. So, Babylon, Greece has to pick some things from Babylon. Medipatia have to pick something from Greeks. Rome have to pick some things from I mean, just like that. You understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, now, so it's expected that the next kingdom will pick some things from the Roman Empire. So Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. What he was telling Pilate, remember, you are officiating on behalf of the Roman government. But I'm picking nothing from you to rule in my kingdom. Do you understand this? 
That's what he means when he says, My kingdom is not of this world. He said, It doesn't have any earthly offshoot. I'm not borrowing any principle from governor or principle of governance from either of all these kingdoms. Remember, because God spoke that to Daniel, if I Daniel told him, Kidneyza, he said, In the days of this king shall the God of heaven set apart his kingdom. In the days of this king, and that was when Jesus was born. So when he said, the scripture is now fulfilled. The time is now fulfilled. Believe you, the kingdom. It was actually referring as well to the image of Daniel, the principle there. Because God said in the days of this king, shall God set up what? His kingdom. And he did that through Jesus Christ. That was why he was born. That's why he said, for this purpose was I born. To set up the kingdom and to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel. That in the days of the kings and the last of that kingdom was what? The Roman Empire. And Jesus was born when the Roman Empire was in place. And right from that time, there is no going to be prophetic, I can declare to you, no kingdom shall ever shake the world as it was in those days. It can never be done. It's not going to be. No power can do. Do not be afraid of anything called the Antichrist. Nothing like that is going to happen. One man ruling the world is not going to be possible. Because the kingdom of God is already in place now. Jesus fulfilled us some 2,000 years ago. And my children will ask me, why is it always 2,000 years? I say, you are right. You see the language of the church? 2,000 years ago. Even we already 2,005, 2,000 years ago. We say because we don't think. Come on now. Are you there with me? So you see, all of those things, I want to make people talk about the Antichrist, one world government, one world, they are just getting confused for nothing. Nothing is going to happen. God's kingdom is advancing. Am I talking to someone here? Nothing is going to stop this thing and no power is going to arise from anywhere. No human being anywhere. Quote me. Come back to me tomorrow and search these scriptures with me. There is never going to be one man that will rule the world. Only one man will rule the world. Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So many of you are so frightened about Antichrist. Some of you are collapsing. See my brothers collapsing, talking about Antichrist, all of that. They don't understand the scriptures. No one man. <laughs> Glory to God. Okay, so that's the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly principles. Is that okay? Have nothing to do with a different thing entirely. One kingdom of God here, yeah, kingdom of heaven coming tomorrow. No. The same thing. Hallelujah. So the word heaven generally in this connection, the plural form from heavens, kingdom of heavens, if you will, this will indicate that this kingdom does not have an offshoot of any earthly kingdom, like I've been saying before. Is that okay? That's why I say the kingdom of heaven. It's sovereign and heavenly as the king is from heaven. You know Jesus is from heaven. He says so. He that came from heaven. Remember that? So what he's saying is, my principle is heavenly. So, now, Mighty was only trying to define the realm and the sphere of operation of God's kingdom, which is what? Heavenly. Is that okay? Are you there with me? Okay. So, if you want to write down scriptures, look at the book of Daniel, chapter 4, 26, and then 29, and then look at Second Chronicles 32, verse 20. You can check up all of these, but I don't have the time to read that now for you. Amen? Now, I'm going to read one scripture just to prove my point. 
In Mighty 21 verse 25, the Bible says this. In other words, asking Jesus with what authority are you doing this? And Jesus asked the same question. The baptism of John, whence was it? Or where did it come from? From heaven or men? See the difference? And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? So, your authority can either come from heaven or come from men. Do you understand what I mean here? So when he said the kingdom of heaven, that means the rulership of that kingdom is what? Heavenly. It's not earthly. That is just the difference. Is it clear to us? So don't be confused when you see the word kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. I see they are talking of two separate things. It's the same thing. Because I like ask the question, with what authority is John baptizing? And you know the Bible, all of them believe that John came from, the authority came from heaven. That means he came from God. Fine. It's not empowered by man. It's not representing anybody on earthly sphere. That's what it means. So, kingdom of heaven means it has no earthly connection in any way to man. Man cannot bring in his input in the rulership of God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Okay. Alright, we'll leave that. Let's go down to something else. Uh, look at Matthew 13 verse 43 you're going to see something called the kingdom of the father and I like this one I like this one don't forget kingdom of God is universal it's all embracing hello it's all embracing it's universal now you come to this place talk about the kingdom of the father kingdom of the father is not universal in any way by no means. Listen closely to what I'm about to say because it's important to you and to me. The kingdom of the Father is not universal. The kingdom of God is all embracing a universal. Did you hear that? What is the difference? The kingdom of the Father have a relationship to a heavenly calling. All those who have been called into the kingdom has God as their father. And that includes you and me. To the man in the street, they belong to what we call the kingdom of God. But for those of us in the house, we are in the kingdom of the father. Hallelujah. Hebrews 3, 1, you can find that. Those of all have been called with the heavenly calling. Say, so, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That's the kingdom of the Father. What that means is, the kingdom of God is all embraces, the big umbrella all over. Is that okay? But the kingdom of the Father is directly connected to a people who have responded to the call of God. And they have left the multitude, if you will. Hallelujah. And they've come into the divine relationship with God. Now, why God is a universal concept for every man, because he created all things. For those of us in the kingdom, we have a personal relationship with him. We can talk to him in terms of a father and a son's relationship. But the world only knows him as God. Are you following what I'm talking about? This is why 
You must not allow religion to take your right away from you. What do I mean? So many of you can't even speak to God as your father. You always want man to do that. You always want a prophet to prophesy unto you. Do you know one of the reasons God raised prophet was because Israel refused to hear me on my Sinai? Feel? That is it. When the law was given, they said, we don't want to hear you. Talk to Moses and let Moses talk to us. They requested for an intermediary. God wanted to talk to them as his children. Said, we don't want to hear you. God said, okay, I'm going to raise a prophet for you. If they were to have heard God, they wouldn't have been the office of the prophet. Come on now. And this is where I want to bring my people and those that love God into. They must come to enter into the kingdom of the Father. That they can hear God for themselves. Hallelujah. Every day you want somebody prophesy over your head. Every day you want somebody, come on, help me. Somebody just get, help me somehow. Do you have God as your Father? How many times will you want somebody to talk to your father for you? Any message you want to hear, you want somebody to come talk to you. How do you feel if you were a father that any time your child wants to make a request, somebody have to come and talk to you? Your son want this. Your son want this. Your son want that. Hallelujah. How will you feel about that? As a father, what will be your disposition? At any point in time, the only thing that you ever hear from someone, not your son, is he coming to complain, your son is in need, your son is in need, your son is in need. How will you feel? And that is where the church is today. Because they have refused to hear God. And over here, are those who often listen to me, we joke about that, but it's very serious. There are only two classes of people in the church. You are either a goat or you are a sheep. What's the difference? My sheep hear my voice. Goats don't hear. Goat needs a cane to do one thing or the other, but sheep will hear and respond to obedience. Am I talking here? Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. So the first thing that makes you to know you've come to the place of divine relationship, if you really enter into the kingdom of the Father, is when you begin to hear God for yourself. Get out of people laying hands on you every day, my friend. Wake up and grow up to become a son. So, you have the kingdom of God, universal. Kingdom of heaven, the authority of the kingdom which is heavenly. Are you following me? Kingdom of the father, which has to do with those who have been called out of the world and now responding to what God is saying accurately and they can live their life by what God says. Jesus put it this way. Man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And somebody had to hear that. Is that okay? Somebody had to hear that. You don't always have to sit down waiting for somebody to come. If we were to put up a prophetic conference now, the whole place would be down pool because somebody want to get his phone number called, want to get your account number called, want to tell you the kind of dress you are wearing. What kind of stuff is that? Don't you know the color of your dress, my friend? I can literally tell you all the color of my dress in the wardrobe. I don't need any man to remind me about that. Are you still there? 
told you the other time when I came back from Italy, how a lady, she spoke to me today, she's in this country. Right, she's in the country. And she was so excited. Pastor, I'm in Lagos. I'm happy. I wish the conference in Lagos would have been there. All the way from Italy. That is somebody that almost literally wanted to go and kill the mother. Because the prophet said she can never get married as long as the mother is living. Now I come to think about it. Then I say, how are things now? He said, I'm here to come. And she smiled. I know something was happening. Amen. I said, come on, talk to me. He said, he's a bini man. Woo! We did the lay hands on her. We spoke the word. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You must get out of this kind of stuff. Come into the kingdom of the Father. That's different from the kingdom of God. No, that's a bigger umbrella. We're now really down to the kingdom of the Father where you have a personal relationship with the one you call God. That is where you can go to him and say, Dad, I need this. You, you, you say, Abba, Father. It's a different language entirely. No, no, it's not God. It's a Abba, Father, Baba. You know, I'm talking of somebody. Who, you understand that? Personal religion. You need change, I need change. Abba, I need change. Huh? Are you still there with me? But you see, the church makes you feel so far from God. It's not your father. Okay, let's move on a little bit and see if we can finish up. Then we have Matthew 16 verse 28. talks about the kingdom of the son of man. It says, Verily, very same. Unto it there be some standing here which shall not taste of death in the city stone when coming in his kingdom. This has to do more with Israel, but especially as it connects the church on the earth today. It's very close to the same thing as the kingdom of the Father. The kingdom of the Son has to do with those that the Son have authority over. You may be in church, but the Son does not have authority over you. Hallelujah. Are you still there? And that is why I read in book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. The Bible says, We'll be translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So there is a kingdom of God. There is a kingdom of heaven. There is a kingdom of the father. And there is a kingdom of his dear son. Is Christ your ruler today? Is he having dominion over your life? That's a question. Can you really say you are in the kingdom of his son? Why is this important? Because if you don't respond to the son, even being in the kingdom of the father cannot deliver. Because God respects the son more than respects you. He gave him the authority. It is when you relate to the son that you can actually have access to the father. Are you getting this? Hallelujah. And then you have what we call the kingdom of the son of man. Just exactly what I'm trying to say. Rules over the church as a head. You look at Ephesians 1 verse 10. And then 2023. You're talking about Christ being the head of the church. Is that okay? Ephesians 1 verse 10. Ephesians, I mean, that's saying 1 verse 10 and 20 to 23. It talks about Christ being the head of who? Of the church. And this has to do with the inward working of the Holy Spirit of God within. The kingdom, there shall be no end as it's finally revealed. Now, see, I don't know how best I can explain this to you. 
Excuse me. You know, in Luke 17, they came to Jesus and said, tell us where the kingdom of God shall come. Remember that? And Jesus said, if they tell you there, don't go. If they tell you here, don't go because the kingdom of God is within you. What he tried to say is the Holy Spirit of God is functional in your life. Do you understand that? That's the kingdom of his dear son. The son rules through the Holy Spirit. He rules through the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Hallelujah. So I want you to understand that. The king rules through the Holy Spirit. Now if you look at that, you're going to see Act 2 verse 36. And the Bible tells us God had made that Jesus whom he crucified both Lord and Christ. And he said, Christ is the Spirit. So when he said the kingdom of God is within you, he actually means to say he rules through the Spirit. And that is when you come into the kingdom of his dear son. He controls your life. If you don't submit to him, you don't even have access to entering the kingdom of the Father. Hallelujah. Do you understand these simple things tonight? Maybe tomorrow we may continue from the will of God. Because remember he said three things there. That will be done. That kingdom called that will be done on earth as is heaven. Remember that? In earth have nothing to do with in the earth. No. I will explain all of that tomorrow. Time permitting us. If we have to go back there and start all over Matthew chapter 6. Praise the living God. But I want to leave you tonight with this fact. That there is the overall embracing universal concept of the kingdom of God. And then we come to the kingdom of heaven which has to do with the rule and the realm of that kingdom which is heavenly. That does not take its offshoot from men. Are you still there? And then we talk about the kingdom of the father. Which has to do with the people that have migrated from the world. And are submitting and having a personal relationship with God. God is not their father. God is not just God. It's not an abstract thing. It's not something that has to be described. It's not something that has to be preached about. It is a relationship that you now have. You can talk to him and he can respond to you. Is that alright? And then you come to the kingdom of his dear son. Which has to do with those that Christ or have submitted to Christ and those who have bowed their knee to Christ, those who have confessed that Jesus is Lord over my life and I'm talking about submitting to the Lordship of Christ to dictate your life, not what you feel not what you think are you still there? the kingdom of his dear son as he becomes the head over you which is the church